morning. Welcome to Grace City. If I hadn't chance to meet yet, my name is David. I'm the teaching pastor here. Thank you so much for being here, being a part of our community on this Super Bowl Sunday. So uh, two weeks ago, my, the, you know, the Saints had a rough ending. And so uh, I don't even know who I'm pulling for. In years past, I've kind of given the church like my prediction or told you who I'm pulling for. And um, I don't know. Just enjoy the game. There's that. So how's, how's that for a nice uplifting? Go Jesus. Yeah, that's, that. that's, that's, that's the way that it needs to be finished. So uh, yeah, so if you're a Patriots fan, cool. If you're a Rams fan, whatever. Enjoy the game. So, uh, so there you go. So after that nice uplifting start to the sermon. Um, so uh, I guess this last August, we started this series called The Gospel Project. And we have uh, really kind of systematically walking through Scripture. We started in Genesis, and we're to Exodus 20 today. And we're seeing how God is uh, revealing His character, His nature, His attributes to this fallen world. And we've seen Him do that through a variety of different ways. But one thing that God uses to reveal His character to mankind is His promises or a covenant that He makes with His people. And we've seen a couple different covenants throughout uh, the the text as we've been looking at this really the story of scripture since last August. We saw God make a covenant with Noah uh, that it really extended to all humanity after the flood uh, to, to you know, never use a, a flood and that type of destruction again. We saw God make a covenant with Abraham, uh, a, a man that, that loved the Lord, that God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to um, Really, I guess he made the covenant with him first, and then Abraham grew in his love for the Lord. But he, he, he promised to, to bless Abraham, to make him the father of a great nation, and to then in turn use that nation to bless the whole world. And we've really been focusing, or we focused in on that story of Abraham and kind of his lineage, and we saw the development of, the, of that family. And to where now in Exodus 20, we see God, when he gives the Ten Commandments, uh, to the Israelite people, we see that this is an extension of the covenant that God made with Abraham to the entire nation of Israel because they're Abraham's descendants, right? God has, has fulfilled the promise. He's fulfilled the promise to, to bring this nation into existence. And now God is, is taking the covenant that he made with Abraham and applying it really to all of Abraham's descendants. He's making the covenant with all of Israel. And it's a covenant to bless. It's a covenant to protect them. It's also a covenant to actually use them to then in turn bless the whole world. So I know we have some guests this morning or, or some folks that have been out for a couple weeks. So the backstory to Exodus 20, to get everybody on the same page, because this is where we're going to drop in the story. The backstory of this is that, is that God has just uh, delivered the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt. They were in slavery for 400 years. Now miraculously through the Exodus, God has rescued them and he's leading them to the promised land. And when they're in the promised land, they're to uh, build a nation, right? They're to build a society and live in such a way to where all will know that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. That's the goal. That's the plan. If they do that, if they live in that way to help all know that the God of the Israelites is the one true God, man, they will be being a blessing to the rest of the world in that way. And so that's, that's the goal. That's what they're supposed to do. But they're not there yet. They haven't built a nation. They haven't moved, uh, gotten, they're really not even to the promised land. This is still during the journey, still during the exodus. Because as they're making their way there, uh, they stop at a place called Mount Sinai. And the Lord's presence rests on top of Mount Sinai. And Moses goes and communes with the Lord. And it's there where the Lord gives to Moses all of the Old Testament law. Uh, the most noteworthy, or the part that we know the most, the part that we're most familiar with is the Ten Commandments. It's really the, kind of the prologue to all of the law. And it represents all the law that was given. And so today, we are going to um, 
look at the Ten Commandments. We're not going to do all ten. I'll explain why in a little bit later on. But we, we're going to be looking at why are they given? What, are, what do they represent? What are they calling us to? And, and are, are, we, are we to um, let them be formative for our faith? And so uh, this morning, it's all about Ten Commandments. There's your, uh, that's a horrible topic sentence. But that's what we're doing, right? So we're going after, after the Ten Commandments. Now, just saying that phrase, Ten Commandments, um, I do think it can raise the heart rate a little bit. Uh, because there's some that are like, man, they're just adamant that like the nation went off the rails when they took the Ten Commandments out of the schools. So like I say Ten Commandments and you're like, yes, fundamentals of the faith, let's go back. So you're excited. Uh, then still maybe some of you might be like, man, I've seen the Ten Commandments used in a way that um, was almost damaging. And so maybe you've seen the Ten Commandments used in such a way that almost was like a sign of religious oppression or, or fundamentalism. And, and so you might be thinking, oh, is this really something we need to get into, right? Like, do we really need to get into the Ten Commandments? Let's just talk about Jesus. And speaking of Jesus, I thought he like fulfilled the Old Testament law on our behalf. So like, uh, you know, while the Ten Commandments maybe are nice to talk about, they're second to Jesus. So why do we really need to go back and talk about the Ten Commandments? Why do we need to uh, figure out kind of why they were given or what are they calling us to or how are they still formative or how are we even supposed to obey them now? Do we really need to go back and do this? After all, they're kind of self-explanatory too, right? Like the, the full list is in Exodus 20, verses 2 through 17. And uh, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of the Ten Commandments. Um, it's, you shall have no gods before God, before the one true God. You shall not make for yourself a graven image. You shall uh, not take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not kill, commit adultery, steal, bear false witness, or covet. Ten Commandments. Short, easy to understand. Um, especially when you get the Cliff Notes version. And so you, you might be thinking, like, is this really something we need to dig into? But you and I both know that even though they're short and easy to understand, uh, the rub comes with kind of the interpretation of them and the application. Uh, that, that's where the sticking point, and that's where the sticking point is. Still also, when you kind of list them off in that fashion, like, you know, don't still kill, commit adultery, don't lie, all those sorts of things, you could be thinking, is the, man, are the Ten Commandments just prohibitive? Like, is it just a list of all the things that God doesn't want us to do? And so maybe another way of, of kind of interacting with that question might be, what is God trying to accomplish through these Ten Commandments? What's he trying to accomplish in your life, in my life? What's he trying to accomplish in the nation of Israel with the Ten Commandments and the law that is given? And it's to that that I would, I would say we, we have to come back and remember that these Ten Commandments, they are an expression of God's love and faithfulness. They're an expression of God's love and faithfulness because they do represent that covenant. They represent a lasting and binding promise that God has made with the nation of Israel. And so when we see them and we're mindful of these Ten Commandments being an expression of God's love, being an expression of God's faithfulness, then yes, absolutely, I think we need to dive deep into them to understand what they are, why they were given, what they represent, and yes, how they're still formative for you and for me, even living in this, you know, our broken cultural context that we have today. I still believe that these are formative and informing of our faith and how we can live it and how we can um, uh, live out our faith in this world. So, we ready? We ready for, all right, let's do work, all right? That's kind of the, the, the prep, let's, let's, let's get into it. We'll start with this, the Ten Commandments, 
literally are translated as the ten words of God. Um, and, and, and we'll see this in, in the opening verse in just a second. But these ten commandments, they are, they are given by God to Israel to help lead them, to guide them, to enable them to live that calling that they were given. Uh, because if they live according to these ten commandments, if they carry these out, if they live this out and, and, and the, the law that it calls them to as well, it's going to mark them. They will be a unique culture. They will be a unique nation from all the nations that surround them. Just two examples of that. Um, you know, the other cultures around them were polytheistic. They worshipped many different gods and goddesses. The very first commandment, you shall have no other god, is, it was, was calling them to worship of God and God alone, to be a monotheistic uh, a, a, a people, to, to worship God and God alone. And, we, and then uh, the, another one, uh, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, um, that every seven days they would have a day where they would just rest. That was different from any other culture around them. So just those two will show them uh, different from the people around them. Just those two will, will, will mark them and show that they are uh, in a relationship to God. And with this, again, it's a, a gracious, loving gift that God has given to them uh, through these Ten Commandments. You will be my God. I will, I will be your God. You will be my people. And it's, it's these ten words, these ten commands are one outward expression of that promise, one outward expression of the covenant that's been made. So keeping that notion of covenant in your mind, of the promise that's been made, I, I think the opening of the ten commandments makes complete sense. Uh, Exodus chapter 20 verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. These are, are the words that God has spoken to his people. And right off the bat, he's reminding them of his faithfulness. He's reminding them of, of what he's done on their behalf. And it's, hey, I've never let you down. I've, I've never once failed you. I've never once led you astray. I am the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the redeemer. I'm the rescuer. I'm the one who, cop, who topples corrupt empires. I'm the one who vanquishes the unjust and rescues the downtrodden. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, who brought you out of, of that system of abuse and oppression, who brought you out of Egypt. And you shall have no other gods before me. In Egypt, they saw the, the worship of these false gods and goddesses and how they warred with one another, tried to establish preeminence and territory and all that sort of stuff. And God's like, no, I am the most high God. You'll have no other gods before me, no other gods against me. God's calling his people, the Israelites, and he's still calling you and, you and to me to trust in him, to relate to him, to view him as the one true God who is sovereign over all. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me say this, this word... Okay, this commandment uh, is, is, is what sets the precedent for the other nine. And it's, it's why this morning, we're only going to focus on this one today. And uh, I say today, this is, th this, uh, in our Gospel Project series, um, this is the week for the Ten Commandments. And instead of doing all ten, I wanted us to just focus in on this one because it, it, it sets the tone for the other nine. Now, if this sermon is sounding a little bit familiar to some of you, we did a whole series on the Ten Commandments about a year and a half ago where we took a Sunday and went through every single one of them. So if you want a deeper dive on commandment number three or number six or number eight, you know, you can, you can go and you can grab that online and grab the podcast there. And so, um, and then this sermon as well was, was kind of an, an intro to that. So bits and pieces of it that sounds familiar, um, uh, it's, it's from there. So, uh, but I, it was, where were they are in the Gospel Project, I feel like it's fitting because this, again, this first command sets the tone for all nine. 
it, it sets the tone for it. Because if we don't get this one right, if we don't have it in its proper place, then we're going to be off in how we interpret and apply the following commands. Because here at the very beginning, the Lord commands all Israel, you shall have no other gods before me. And in light of the covenant, in light of the vow that's taken, this is appropriate. A few reasons why. Uh, first, like the, um, throughout Scripture, as God has expressed his love to Israel, and as the prophets who served in Israel, as they expressed what should be Israel's devotion to the Lord in return, this covenant language was often expressed as a marriage covenant or as a marriage vow that was taken. So God is calling his people to faithfulness. God is calling them to love him and no other. Again, to place no other gods before him in their devotion to each other. And it, it's the same as that of a husband and wife and their devotion to each other. I mean, there's so many temptations, right? Like work, hobbies, other people that spouses can place in front of the other. And when they do, it's a breakdown in the marriage. The, the marriage is not as healthy as it should be. So here... You shall have no other, no, no other false gods, no other false deities to pull your love, to pull your focus, to pull your concern, to pull your devotion off of me. So, what is this command requiring of us? What is this command actually requiring? I think that's a healthy question. What is this actually requiring of us? It calls us to love God more than anything else. It calls us to love God more than anything else. No, it, it, that's what this command is, is. The core of this command is calling us to, to call him calling us to love him more than anything else. Now, hearing that, I can, there, there might be some pushback to that, saying, is this, um, is this odd that God is commanding a love? That God is commanding devotion? It might even sound almost abusive. He's commanding us to love him? Well, let's do work on that, okay? Uh, God, God knows who he is. God knows that he, is, he alone is perfect and righteous and eternally good. God also knows that he alone is the source of all joy, source of all hope, source of all mercy and life and goodness in this world. And so when you do that work on it, you realize he loves Israel so much. He loves Israel so much. He doesn't want them seduced by false offerings of this world. So he says, nothing before me. He doesn't want you or I seduced by the false offerings of this world either. He says, nothing before me commanding a love. He is a commanding a love to him. Whereas that statement or that command would be extremely arrogant and pride-filled if spoken by flawed humanity, it is worship when spoken by God. Once more, were God to esteem something else and say it's okay for us to have something else above him, or God even direct our attention to something else other than him, he would be guilty of violating the first of his own Ten Commandments, placing something above him. And so I think when you do that work, it leads us to the answer of maybe a second question. What's the first command uh, requiring of us? To love God more than anything else. The follow-up question, why is it given? Well, God knows that for you and for me, God knows that for you and for me, the act of loving God, placing Him in this preeminent position, relating to Him as such and in this way, that's what leads us to life and life to the full. It's an act of, of love that he's commanding this of us, that he's giving this commandment to us because he knows that when we love him, we worship him in this way, it's going to lead us to life and life to the full. And so that's why I said if we miss this one, okay, if we miss this command, we're going to be off on how to interpret and apply the, the com this command and really the remaining nine. And I would even say not just the ten commandments, but if we don't have that right about how all this is, is, is helping us love the Lord and in loving him and in worship of him and in glory of him, that's where we find and discover life and life to the full. If we miss all of that, we're going to miss and not know how to really interpret or apply any of the commandments that we see in Scripture. In fact, uh, Jesus points us to this truth uh, when he responds to a question from a Pharisee. When he's responding to a trick question 
from a Pharisee. In Matthew chapter 22, um, it tells the story of, of a group of Pharisees who were trying to trick Jesus. Um, if you don't know what a Pharisee is, Pharisees was this group of people that were, um, they were the religious leaders of the day. And, uh, and maybe you don't hear this a lot in church, but they, they actually had a good intention. A lot of them were just good guys. They, they loved the Lord. They were trying to drive people to, to know the Lord, to live out his word. But there were a lot of them also that, that let that drift them into self-righteousness and arrogance and pride and ego. And so, uh, so in scripture, a lot of times, kind of the perennial bad guy are Pharisees because a lot of them struggle with that self-righteousness. And rightfully so, they can, they, there are some of those that, that pop up that are trying to trick Jesus, such as the case in Matthew 22. And so it's one of these self-righteous leaders that's trying to get Jesus to say something heretical or blasphemous and, and, uh, by asking a question. But when they ask a question, they actually ask a very helpful question for you and for me. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 says this, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's the greatest commandment in, in, in the law? Now, why this is such a helpful question is because Jesus goes above and beyond. He doesn't answer just what the greatest commandment is. He replies with what are the two greatest commandments. But then what makes it extremely helpful is that then Jesus gives the answer, gives the explanation as to why these are the two most important commands in scripture. And look at Christ's response. This is chapter, uh, chapter 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And, this, and, and the, uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. The greatest commandment, the greatest commandment that Jesus speaks to is what the first of the Ten Commandments requires. We place no God before the one true God, and as such, we will love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. It starts here, loving the Lord in this way, loving God in this manner. And then the second one is like it, loving others as yourself. If you'll notice, Jesus doesn't even reference one of the other nine commandments. For, him, for, for his response to say the second greatest commandment, he's quoting Leviticus 19.18. But yet he says, it is the second greatest commandment to love others. And then, for the kicker, he explains why. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. All of this hangs on those two. Love of God, love of others. What Jesus has just done is he's given what's known as a theological norm. Uh, uh, and that might be a new term for some of you, but a theological norm is um, something, it's a norm that you use to interpret and apply scripture. Um, uh, you can think of it as a standard that you use to, to judge other theological positions by, to, to judge your, your positions by. Everything is subjected back to this theological norm. Uh, for you, the construction event, you can think of it like a plumb line or like a frame and square or something like that, or like a north star. Like you orient yourself off of that, okay? You, when you get in God's word and maybe you hit a passage that you're not sure what to do with, or, or maybe you're hearing someone preach and you're like, man, I, I don't know what he or she is calling me to in this. I don't, I don't know, like, how are they leading me to something that, that, that's right in this? And so you're just like, 
I, I don't know what to do with what they're telling me, and, it, and, and if, if I follow them on this, and it's not seeming like I'm going to be very loving. <laughs> like, like maybe they're, they're saying something, and it leads you to, like, and if the expression of your faith is where there's going to be judgment, and, and there's going to be um, uh, superiority or condemnation or condescension of somebody else, then, hey, that's not very loving of others, right? Or, or maybe it's a sermon that, like, is, is not helping you love God more, and so you can come back and go, no, 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 no. The theological norm here is, is how is this helping me love God? How is this helping me love others? And so it's a way to, to bring us back in line with it. He's given us the theological norm here for, for all of the law, including the Ten Commandments, that it leads us to love God and love our neighbor as ourself. So what that means for us then, these Ten Commandments, these Ten Words of God, leads us to two loves. And I would say that's what gives an answer to a good third question. What is required of us with this command? Love God more than anything else. Why is it required? God knows that when we do that, we'll discover life and, and life to the full in him as we worship him, as we love him. And then the third question, okay, well, how do we follow this commandment? How do we interpret and apply these ten commandments in our broken and fallen world? It's to remember that these commandments are leading us to these two loves. And I, I think we have to ask that question because I do, think, I do think the pushback that I brought up at the very, very beginning, the pushback of do we even need to subject ourselves to the Ten Commandments has some merit <laughs> in, a, in a sense of like Jesus has freed us from the law, okay? We believe Jesus has freed us from the law, uh, that, that, that he's freed us from the law in such a way to where we don't have to uphold all of the law to earn for us our salvation, Okay, and I, and I do believe that there's some people that, that think that, that like, okay, uh, that maybe they not, uh, that like, they believe that they have to uphold all the Ten Commandments to be able to earn for themselves their salvation. Now, I don't know if people would say, hey, you got to keep the Ten Commandments to get you into heaven. Um, but if you ask somebody, like, how, how do you get into heaven, they'd say, i got to make sure that I do enough good so that my good outweighs the bad and it tips the scales in my favor in that way. But then when you ask them, okay, well, how do you define a good life? How do you de define that? Then a lot of what, how they would fill that in kind of falls in line with the Ten Commandments. And so whether they're using that language or, lot, or not, a lot of times it comes back. So that's a pretty good kind of gauge on it. And let me just say this. If keeping the Ten Commandments perfectly is what's required of us for our salvation, we would have no hope. Even when it's simple and easy to understand, we'd have no hope because we can't even get past the first one. We can't even get past the first one. There's so many ways that we've been unfaithful to the Lord. And we, we've given ourselves over to the false gods of the culture, right? We've given our affection. We've given devotion. We've given our loyalty to other pursuits. We, we, we get seduced by these false gods and we place them before the one true God. And we fail to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. And every time we do it, we sin and we sin and we sin and we sin. And, and the scales are not tipped in our favor. And there's no way that it's going to go back on our own merit. But man, that's the hope of the gospel, right? I mean, you know where I'm going with this. That's, that's the hope of what Jesus has done for us because he's kept the Ten Commandments perfectly. He's kept all of the law perfectly. And so he doesn't have any sin of his own right, right? He doesn't have unbalanced scales that he's got to figure out on his own. And so that allows him to be in a position to be the one to die a sacrificial death on our behalf. So he can take our junk. He can take the unbalance of our scales. He can take that onto himself. He can credit that towards himself and actually credit his righteousness in return. Say, I'll love you so much. I'll take this from you and I'll give this back to you. And when he gives that right 
righteousness in return. When he gives that forgiveness back in return, our, the punishment of our sin is taken away. And our, our, our forgiveness is granted. And the Lord looks at us as righteous, right? And now, like this is pulled in. Really, that's just done away with because Christ has fulfilled it all on our behalf. When God's looking at us, he's not looking at a pair of scales. God's looking at us as his own son. Because when we trust in Christ's work, we're adopted into God's family. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what's happened on our behalf. We've been redeemed. We've been given a place in the family of God. And so that, that frees us from the condemnation of the law, right? That's what Christ has done. But Christ has also told us that the law and the prophets hang on the commands of loving God and loving others. So we can come back and say, okay, then, then God, how does your word, how does your law, how does your command, how do your instructions lead us or grow us in our capacity to love? How does it grow us in our capacity to love you? How does it grow us in our capacity to love others? And that's what I'm submitting to you, what I'm arguing for, what I'm preaching in, in hopes of, that you and I would see that these ten words, these ten commandments, lead us to two loves. If you spend time and read through them, you can see the first, uh, first four of the ten commandments are focused on our relationship with the Lord and grow us in our capacity to love him there. And the last six uh, can help us grow in our love for others. And that's why, I, I'm, I, that's why I'm arguing to you. That's why I believe that these Ten Commandments are still formative, still compelling for the Christian faith, is that it helps us do both of these. Um, pastor, author, theologian uh, John Piper says, if, if you are bent on love, if you are bent on love, then the Ten Commandments are really important. Hang them on your wall. Measure your life by them but in a different way as if you were under them because they have been kept for you. So we can, we can see the Ten Commandments. We can know the Ten Commandments. But we don't have to feel like we're, we're, we're slave to them, like we're subjugated to them because Christ has kept them for us. So we don't need to interact with them as some sort of oppressive device, but rather we can see them as what are, what's God doing in our lives through these Ten Commandments. And it's Ten Commandments that lead us to two loves. And, and so I think that should lead us to then Come back to the Ten Commandments and hear them and see them not just as um, prohibitions, but hear these Ten Commandments really as, as calls to action. Uh, what, is it, what are the Ten Commandments asking us, requiring us to cultivate in our, in our own lives? So it's not just no other gods before God, but how do I grow in my love and devotion to Him to where I'm loving Him with all my heart, soul, and mind? So how, do, how, how does love compel me to action in this? Another theologian, Lewis Smedes, writes this, Love turns the negative don'ts into positive do's. Love turns the passive avoidance of evil into the active doing of good. Catch this. Law without love tells us not to kill a stranger. Law with love moves us to go out of our way to help a wounded enemy. Ten words that lead us the two loves. And I think that's how we hear and we interpret and we apply the Ten Commandments in our broken context. It's God, help me to see how these ten words are leading me to take action. And so again, you can grab the podcast to see kind of how we explain that across all ten of these from a year and a half ago. But it's like, like, with, with, like don't murder. It's not okay that I'm not just, you know, not going to kill someone, although that's a good start. It's, it's come back, okay, God, how can I love my neighbor so much how can I love my neighbor so much that I, that I see whatever might be holding them down, whatever might be keeping them, 
shackled, whatever might be keeping them from experiencing the, the full life that you've created and called them to live? How can I take responsibility for my neighbor to where whatever hardship they're walking through, I'm walking through it with them? Because that's what, you know, we move out of our way to go help a wounded enemy. I mean, that's, that's love in action there. So it's, it's not just don't steal, but God, how can, out of love for my neighbor, how can I develop and live with a theology of generosity to where I'm not looking to take, but how can I give? How can I bless? How can I pour into those around me? So it's not just don't covet, but with covet, you know, I look at what other people have, and I want that for me. I want that to build me up, to increase the kingdom of me. So rather, it's no God in, in humility. How can I come back, and how can I, how can I view myself with, with humility and, and view my neighbor with gratitude and, be, and celebrate whatever blessings are in them? And so in this way, that's how we, we can move from from the, you know, the, the negative don'ts to these positive do's because we see, again, that the theological norm, what we interpret and apply is how does this grow me in my capacity to love God and love my neighbor? And I, I, I think it, it, it does call us to action. Maybe the first action is that of repentance. That of repentance. God, I know that I prioritize other facets of my life in front of you. Help me to see what I love more than you and return it to its proper place. Maybe your response is reframing from, from how, uh, reframing how you hear the Ten Commandments. Maybe you saw them as outdated and passively kept, and now you're hearing the call to action that they require. M- maybe you heard them as a way to judge and condemn the, the world around us, but now you're seeing it as the call to love and serve and those whom God has placed in your path. Still, maybe a second answer would be the call to discipleship. The, the, act, the second action would be the call of dis- to answer the call of discipleship. Uh, at Grace City, kind of how we've dis- defined disciples, that a disciple is someone who is trusted in the atoning work of Christ and is growing in their love for God and growing in their love for neighbor. It's someone who's been redeemed by Jesus and growing in their love for God, growing in their love for their neighbor. We try to make it more complicated, but that's really it. It's, it's I've trusted in Christ, and now I want to be intentional with, 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 with the love that I show and express. It's not theoretical. It's not intellectual. It's practically showing our love for God and our love for others. Uh, like to help us with that at Grace City, I don't know if you, if you know this, just kind of a, a peek under the hood, how, we've, how, we've, how we're trying to help one another engage this. If we've, we've, we've organized our church around these two loves. Because we have uh, gathering environments, which would be like the worship service or community groups or growth groups, where we gather together to help one another grow in our love for the Lord see more of how he's loved and served and how we respond to him in love and in worship. So we have these gathering environments to help us grow in our love for him. And then we have different sending environments that are like ministry teams, local and global missions teams. We're sending out, we're putting ourselves in places to where we can show the love that we have by the act of doing of good to point others to the hope of Jesus. So that's a way that we as a church try to help one another um, do that and pursue these in, in our lives. And you can get more info on that on the .info website. But I also wonder also wonder how God might be leading you in your day-to-day living to pursue these two loves because that's the guidance of these Ten Commandments. Remember, remember, if the people of Israel, if they lived this out, if they lived these commands out, man, it would mark them as a people and they would be a blessing to the world around them. The same is true for you and for me. The same is true for us. These ten words that lead us to these two loves, it will help us be marked and known, not by our opinions, not by our rants, not by our political persuasions, but these 10 words that will lead us to these two loves will help us be marked and known by our ability to love. 
And Jesus says the world will know you are my disciples with how you love one another. It's ten words that grow us in our capacity to love. And that is something that I pray we would submit to and we would allow the text, allow the work of God, allow the Holy Spirit to do its work inside of each and every single one of us. Because the world needs to see a people marked and defined by their capacity to love.